Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, buds? Welcome back to Japers Ring Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to have a new co-host with me, and his name is Greg Young. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing pretty well. Um, since this is your first time on the show, and actually I don't know if this is your first time on, on any podcast, why don't you kind of give our listeners kind of an overview of who you are and, uh, you know, kind of the yeah. stuff you're interested in and uh, what you've written about so far? Sure. So uh, I have been interested in the Caps since a very young age, although I started writing for Japers uh, a few months ago, uh, kind of in the string of new hires. Uh, it looks like Alex, I think, is going to be on the show next week, and I'm very excited to hear her. Um, I, like I said, first got interested in the Capitals uh, kind of in the early 2000s when they were bad, um, because I was a high school student in D.C., and it was easy to get cheap tickets. And so I started going to a lot of Caps games. Uh, I think my parents got a little sick of driving me to the Metro every time. And then Alex Ovechkin came, and that kind of entered, like, a lot of my friends, uh, my Capitals fandom, into the stratosphere. Um, I know that I have definitely been uh, really kind of hopping on the analytics movement. That's kind of a lot of where my writing fits in. Uh, I, you know, wrote a piece a few months ago about Dimitri Yaskin, a player who I love and find absolutely fascinating, even though he plays like, you know, probably once every five or six games. Um, And I also recently had an interview with uh, a Hershey Bears writer about kind of how the Hershey Bears are doing. Uh, I'm also working um, at some point on a piece about the best Capitals goal celebrations. Uh, I figured right now probably posting that given some of the struggles of the team isn't great, but uh, that's my uh, kind of background. Personally, I am a law student at the University of Michigan. So if anyone's in Ann Arbor, uh, feel free to hit me up and I'm happy to meet. <laughs> well, I mean, good intro. Um, yeah. All right, so let's jump, let's jump right in here. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the uh, hot button topic for Caps fans right now is kind of the Capitals. Do they suck? I mean, are, are they actually, um, you know, Kevin wrote, wrote a great piece, you know, a couple months ago, or it feels like a couple months ago now, about how the Capitals have historically outperformed their expected goal metrics. I mean, they've got great finishing talent, great goaltending, um, but recently kind of their 
lackluster possession numbers are, are coming back to kind of with a vengeance. Caps aren't shooting well. They're not, uh, you know, saving the puck well. But also, they're freaking boring to watch. I mean, they're just playing a really uninspired brand of hockey. So what are, what are your first thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think that you can both have the belief, and I, I strongly believe in Kevin's article, that I mm-hmm. do think you look at it year over year, the Capitals consistently outperform you know, their possession metrics, the expected goals for. But at the same time, I think it's also fair to say that this year kind of took that to maybe at times a different extreme. And that there still is, you know, there still might have been some regression coming. Um, So I think that you can have both those views. I think those are totally believable things that both the Capitals will continue to outperform, but that they won't continue to outperform that much. So that's the first thing. The second is, I think if you look at this last stretch of 10 games, there's been a lot of back-to-back games, which are kind of notorious or sluggish play, particularly back-to-backs with the second game being a road game. I, you know, I think if you look in this kind of 10-game stretch, probably the two most uninspired games were the Blues on the road and the Preds on the road. Now, that's unfortunately sandwiched by a Blues game at home where the Capitals decided, I feel like, to stop playing defense in the second and third period. The second period in particular was notable just because of the insane amount of chances given up around the goal. So I think that, you know, it's one of those things where I don't think the Capitals are going to keep playing this poorly. And as bad as they're playing, they are still tied for first place. But yeah, I think there has been a little bit of regression, fair to say. And God, I just hope they become more watchable because I agree with you. The last, I when I'm watching it with my roommates, uh, they've been kind of saying, why are you watching this game right now? This is really boring. And I, you know, have said, yeah, like, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. So it definitely feels like we're a ways away from kind of the last, uh, the way they were playing kind of in the playoff run. And even as of like 20, 30 games ago. Yeah. So when I pulled kind of, like I was looking at evolving wild stats and I'm going to keep referencing these because I haven't pulled them again. It was a couple, again, a few weeks ago, the Capitals were outperforming their offensive expected production at about the same amount for the whole time, you know, for the whole season to date as they did for the entirety of the previous season. So it was kind of one of those like, yeah, regression was definitely imminent. You know, they were still going to outperform those metrics, but as, as you said, you know, it, it's not unreasonable for them to still be re- kind of regressing. But um, I think kind of the stuff that I've kind of noticed more from, like, a, it's not just, like, a shooting thing. It, it's kind of, as you said, with your roommates, it, it's like the style of play. It's just, it, it's not inspiring. I mean, um, you know, I've been really happy watching kind of Jacob Vrana play. He still kind of has his legs going all the time. He's able to get that separation. Um I mean, there are a few other guys. I mean, Tom Wilson occasionally will do something that's pretty good. Uh, but, I mean, the the kind of, like, overall, um, you know, malady on the team, I think, is, like, really kind of obvious in Evgeny Kuznetsov, who's a guy that I've been looking at, and I'm like, what the hell is happening with Kuznetsov? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he, been he's, been, he's been a mess. I mean, on the I, I remember in the – it was either the Blues game or the – the blue home game or the one a couple days before that against Columbus where he had like three turnovers in one power play in one yeah. shift. I mean, and each time it was right upon zone entry um, yeah. or one of them was he actually like was able to make a move in the offensive zone, created his own lane. And then he just like threw it down the middle of the ice back. Like, yeah. Toward, toward, yeah so weird decisions, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think there's a bit of concern for me just kind of, is this just kind of a disinterest thing? And, you know, I, I know there was that kind of that 
Brian McClellan quote about if Kuznetsov wants to be the best player in the league, he'd be the best player in the league. Like, do they think that Kuznetsov's kind of just like yeah. whatever? This is the regular season, and are I, I don't know. What, what are your yeah. kind of thoughts on like the individual player performances? Yes. So I think that with Kuz, so and I think this ties a little bit to the Capitals' power play, which I think has continued to struggle. Which is, I think, if you look at the personnel on the Capitals' power play, there's not necessarily a ton of speed there. Uh, you wouldn't exactly say any of the players are burners. And so they are very dependent on Kuznetsov to kind of have the zone entry, kind of in a reprise almost a little bit of Marcus Johansson's role uh, from a few years ago. And if he's making these kind of decisions and struggling to get zone entries, I think you could look at that as being a big piece. You know, I you look at it too, and I, I think in terms of individual performances, Matt Niskanen is someone that I continue to be kind of vexed by because – Something about that him and Orlov pairing it seems off. You know, it was maybe overperforming a little bit, like, you know, relative to the kind of their actual metrics, which were pretty lousy, pretty consistently. So Niskanen, though, it seemed kind of a little slower. You know, I, it's, I'm a little concerned about him. Uh, Kuznetsov, obviously, is another one you mentioned. Um, with Kuznetsov in particular... He did, um, you know, he has had a couple of injury issues, if I'm not mistaken, this year. And sometimes, you know, the the recovery process for this could be sometimes a little uneven, I think. And I think that's something that, you know, is something to kind of keep an eye on, too. Um, the, other, the other kind of general thought I have is I think when we think about a Stanley Cup hangover, we kind of think about it as, oh, this is all going to happen at one time. You know, we... Uh, there's going to be the Stanley Cup hangover 20 games into the year and they'll wake up and then they'll be fine. But maybe the better way to think about it possibly is instead of the them struggling right away, maybe the Stanley Cup hangover was going to happen kind of during these grunt games, you know, in the middle of January when the players are all tired and it's tough to get up for a regular season game against the Blues or someone like that. So you'd, uh, that's kind of a theory. I don't have a ton of backing behind that, but it's just something that, you know, Definitely seems possible. Yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to look at. I mean, I guess you would kind of check and and see how previous uh, cup winners have have done, um, just kind of throughout the year. I do know, like a few years ago, when the Capitals were on their way to their first President's Trophy under Barry Trotz, um, we were looking at kind of how previous teams that had huge kind of standings leads over others were able to um you know kind of play down the stretch and, and was there a like, kind of a switch that they could flip you know were they able to kind of idle you know idle yeah. the motor per se for a month and then uh start playing solid hockey again um and, and i wonder if that's kind of a similar case here except uh the capitals i mean they're they're gone you know they're 90 percent chance to make the playoffs uh, they're looking very yeah. good uh, although to be fair i think wasn't Dallas at like a 90% chance last year or the year before and then didn't make the playoffs, but... And there are only seven games, I think, or seven points, if I'm not mistaken, clear. If I'm, I, I yeah. could be wrong about that, but I, I don't think I am. And, you know, so the gap is not... Is, the East is weird this year that way, right? You know, there's a lot of kind of teams in the middle that, you know, do I think the Capitals are a much better team than the Islanders? And, you know, well, I think they'll finish ahead of them standings. Yes, of course I do. But... Mm-hmm. You know, the gap is just not that big. So the Capitals, yes, can afford a bit of a funk right now, but this is something they do need to figure out this year before the playoffs, you know, so because otherwise they're going to be potentially facing a seeding issue where they're having to play a really good team early, and that's something you really would like to avoid. Yeah, I mean, I 
<laughs> I have trouble getting kind of like too worked up about like regular season, like where they're going to end up. I mean, as long as they make the playoffs. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't want them to. I, I guess the two, three in the Metro is still going to be. I mean, you'd be playing either Pittsburgh or Columbus, or yeah. If Washington's not the first, they'd probably be second or third, right? And yeah. you don't want to get a second wild card crossover and play Tampa. Yeah, that's um, the scenario. Yeah, I mean, I think Tampa's like far and away the best team this year so far. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, yes, I don't, I don't, I don't really see one with Tampa right now. I mean, Tampa's essentially the. I think of them kind of as the 2010 Washington Capitals. So, uh, yeah. you know, for all we know, they could go up three to one in the first round and then blow it because the opposing goaltender stops 97 of 100 shots or something like that. Who knows? You know, so yeah. uh, Hockey's an unfair sport that way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. But I, I guess I kind of. That's my fault. I kind of changed topics a little bit when we were, you were talking specific, specifically rather about kind of like Matt Niskanen and Dmitry yeah. Orlov and, and guys that kind of um, have not been consistent. I mean, I was looking today, and since the start of the year, Matt Niskanen is, you know, like 41%, like uh, Corsi 4 percentage. Like yeah. 41%. Like that, that is just like staggering. That's it, It's like he's playing the – you know, 2008 Detroit Red Wings every time he steps on the ice. That's how bad his stats are. I mean, yeah, that, and, that... and I mean, looking at the high danger Corsi 4%, it's even worse. He's sub – him and Orlov are sub 40% right now. So they're giving up like – they're basically going 60-40 in terms of high danger chances against, which is, you know, one, it's it fits with what you're seeing on the ice, right? You know, but two, that's really concerning. And – you would expect some regression to kind of come negatively to them if that continues. And it has. So, you know, it's definitely something that it's important to keep an eye on and see if that number gets better because it's been pretty consistently terrible this year. Yeah. You know, one thing I was thinking about this today on the drive home. I mean, if we looked at like, um, if, if, like, if Matt Niskanen's lost a step, like where would that you see that besides in like possession numbers, like what individual statistic for a defenseman would you see? To, to demonstrate that, you know, not, not like a war stat, like a yeah. traditional stat. And, and what I was thinking of was, yeah, and I was thinking about this probably because he took a couple of penalties recently, but like it has, has his rate of penalties that he's taken gone up? And is that like the kind of thing that, you know, we, we see when a guy kind of isn't playing his way, you know, he's out of position, he's making, he has to play catch up, he's hooking and he's holding or, uh, yeah. you know, so that's the kind of thing that, I think I'd be really interested to see. And, and speaking of another guy who's kind of lost a step and hasn't done a lot better than him uh, possession-wise, I've not been really impressed with Brooks Orpik since he came back. And, uh, you know, it's not shocking to, to our regular <laughs> listeners that I'm not impressed by Brooks Orpik. But, um, you know, he's just – he's looked really bad. And, and I think part of that's because Siegenthaler looked so good uh, and still has looked pretty good. But it, it's definitely been – uh, kind of a rude awakening to see Brooks Orpik back in the lineup uh, so consistently. Yeah, and I mean he's he's been bad. It's and it's one of those where his possession stats actually have looked okay this year, but like you could just tell on the ice that he is, and he's after he came back too. In particular, it seems like this is pretty clearly the beginning of the end. I think my hope was when they first signed that contract at the start of the year, the one year for one million that he would kind of be an ancillary 7D that, you know, they would rotate in and out. And they may see him in that role, and he might only be starting regularly because Juice is out for so long. But at the same time, I think they need to seriously 
consider maybe just doing Orpik and Siegenthaler and just riding the bumps there because Orpik's getting to the point now, at least eye-pass wise, where he's basically becoming pretty close to unplayable. Well, I don't think that. I think that's what I think. I think that's what you think. I think that's what a lot of people, not in the organization, probably think. But I don't. I just don't think that's kind of the case for maybe the coaching staff. I I, I think yeah. they they value Brooks or pick to an extent that's different. And, and I think a large part of it's the penalty kill. But yeah. you know, I haven't looked at these numbers. It's another thing to, for someone to look at. You know, I guess it could theoretically it could be me. <laughs> but the, <laughs> like, what is the penalty kill? Like, how has it done since Brooks Orbit came back, and has there been any improvement? I mean, the, uh, when I wrote about it a couple months ago, the the penalty kill was starting to you know, get where it was supposed to go. You know, it was starting to look better. We were, and, you know, it, it's definitely still kind of varied a, a, a lot. And the Capital Special Teams has not done great for the year as a whole, but I don't really think Orpik's been a real boon for the for the penalty kill. I, I certainly haven't seen it, but I've always kind of thought his net front clearing presence was a bit of a, a myth. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking right now at his uh, penalty kill stats and you know he's towards the, the among the better capitals defenders in terms of uh per, kind of mitigating uh shots per 60 at least from what i'm seeing but yeah i i've also have noticed that you know he on the penalty kill at a certain point you know your overall play kind of starts to lead into the penalty kill like you could be in the right position but if you just can't react to the play in time it's going to be you know a struggle and i think that it's easy for a coaching staff maybe to look at the kind of affirmative things that Brooks Orpic does in terms of blocking shots and not being obviously out of position. But at the same time, I think there's also a lot of little things that, you know, Orpic maybe isn't doing, particularly since he's gotten back, that maybe it's been a bit of a struggle. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's tricky because, you know, a pen, the Capitals penalty kill, you know, has kind of had its ups and downs this year. But yeah, I also agree with you. I haven't noticed a ton of, positive kind of play that Orbic has done really since coming back on the penalty kill. Yeah. But uh, for my money, I don't expect that to change. Like I expect him to be yeah, in yeah. the sweater uh, for the rest of the year. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they're just going to have to do a better job, I think. Oh, really. And it's something I know the Capitals coaching staff has, has thought about and focused on, but really trying to make sure they're sheltering, you know, Orbic and uh, whichever one of the young D he's playing with. Yeah, I mean, one of one of like the, the I, I guess kind of like the the bright spots of the last last kind of bit was was kind of Verona, as I already said. But I've also kind of liked what I've seen from Siegenthaler, um, yeah. and I was definitely I, I think I missed the boat on the guy uh, when he was drafted. Like his whole report was the kind of guy that uh, you know you wouldn't like. I, I didn't. I was not happy that the Capitals traded up to draft a guy that was essentially listed as a guy without a lot of puck moving skills. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff kind of about his offensive side of the game, not being there. Now I'm not, we haven't like seen him do anything great offensively yet, but his, his skating has been a lot better than what I expected when he was kind of listed as a guy who was going to play a more defensive defenseman role. Um, you know, that, that was where he was being projected. So I, I, I've been very happy with what I've seen from him so far, especially on the skating side. Oh yeah, I agree. And I think, it's one of the things too, where there's been a lot of new thought in like NHL analytics circles about what kind of is a defensive defenseman and what should they look like. And I think you could make a case that Siegenthaler is someone that 
you know, it's someone that kind of is what a defensive defenseman can look like, you know, in terms of being able to, you know, skating ability, yes, but he also is kind of unfazed in a Jusian-style way to create my own kind of word there um, about like not being flustered and seemingly making the correct decision more often than not. And it's something that, you know, is in pretty stark contrast to how Bowie started his career, where it seemed like he had at times a bit of a deer in the headlights look and really Siegenthaler has impressed me, you know, yes, with the skating, but also just, you know, making sure he's in the right position and making the smart right passes out of the zone. It's something that, you know, I think he's really kind of came into the NHL and had a sixth sense about it. It's something I was really impressed by. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want to kind of see from these guys uh, when they're younger, especially on the back end. I mean, there's not a lot of pressure on them to produce points when you're playing defense. It's it's more about kind of don't make the uh, the big mistake, right? Don't don't give the coach a reason to remember to remember you after the game <laughs> for something yeah. negative. Yeah. Uh, um, but, I mean, I, again, to circle back just real quick on Vrana. So I did want to talk about kind of deployments. And, and he is a guy that, you know, you go and look at Michael Blake McCurdy's site, uh, HockeyViz.com, and you can kind of pull the ice time, that nice little graph. And, you know, Vrana's overall ice time is trending downwards, which is crazy to me because he's the guy, he's probably playing – you know, some of the best hockey of his career. And he's kind of, without a doubt, in my mind, been the Capitals' best forward over the last few weeks. Um, So, I mean, what do you think's going on there? I I know he's not getting special teams time, but that trend's even kind of held in five-on-five. Yeah, I know. And it's it's weird. You know, what I would say is... Even with the, I'm also on his uh, hockey fizz site too. The one, the one thing I would say is that even with kind of the flattening slash diminishing of ice time, he's still getting a lot more ice time than he did at any point last year. So I think that's kind of a key, you know, context to have. But yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, just his point production has skyrocketed this year. You know, which I think was probably somewhat inevitable because you know he wasn't going to keep shooting kind of the low percent he was at the start. And yeah, I'm also similarly baffled by this. You know, I, I think he's one of the few capital skaters that, you know, in terms of the forward kind of depth where you really notice his kind of skating ability and his ability to kind of, you know, be able to get zone entries, you know, and he's also improved a significant amount as a passer, I think in the last kind of year or two as well. And it's, you know, it's one of those where I think it's easy to, you know, we all have noticed, I think, uh, Isabel's pieces, which are really, really smart and great about kind of the extra practice he's put in and, you know, the, kind of the increased role he was hoping to get. So, you know, I, what I suspect could be going on, and this is speculation, you know, just for now, is that, you know, when your team is struggling, I think sometimes coaches want to lean on veterans a little more. And it could be possible that kind of with the Caps plateauing a little bit that, you know, that hurts maybe the ice time of Avrana. But at the same time, yeah, I think that it's hard for me to look at these games. And, you know, he's one of the few skaters that every time he's on the ice, you he does something that you kind of notice, you know, whether it's skating around a guy or whether it's a really good zone entry. And, yeah, so I'm similarly intrigued about kind of why he struggled to, you know, see an increase in this ice time. Yeah, I mean, you look at kind of the Capitals have been trailing a lot recently, right? I mean, this, yeah. the St. Louis game, they were down a lot. Uh, obviously, the Nashville game, they were down like the whole time. Uh, against Nashville, Verona only skated ten twenty two. I mean, that's yeah. I mean that that that's nuts. I mean, especially when I mean, 
I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I granted he. I mean, the night before that, he only played fourteen oh two actually. So no, he he has he hasn't broken fifteen minutes in his last five. Um, yeah, which is you know, not great. <laughs> no, I'd like to see him getting a bit more ice time, but um, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I guess we've got, so the Capitals have four games left before the all-star break. Um, and you know, the Capitals have that there, it's kind of bizarre. Their all-star break is kind of com- then leads directly into their bye week. So, I mean, how important do you think it is that the Capitals, you know, show some life here before they get into this extended off time? Yeah. Oh, well, I think it's important. And I think it's important for a couple of reasons. You know, one is that the just from a points perspective, you know, and I know we talked about this earlier, uh, Columbus and Pittsburgh are playing well. And so it's important that the Capitals kind of, you know, go into break at least racking up a few points. But I think there's other there's two big reasons why, you know, I think that it's important they play better. One is that I mean, tried to, as you know, as we've kind of talked about on the uh, in our in our internal Japers chat a little bit, the trade deadline's coming up. And I think that you know, it's going to how the Capitals play over the next four games could potentially shape the kind of moves that Brian McCullen is going to be making. And so I think kind of putting your best foot forward, you know, so he has a good kind of idea of what the kind of needs the Capitals have is important. But I would also say that I think that we talk about breaks and sometimes teams kind of struggle on the other side of them. Um, sometimes with these bye weeks, you know, there's, I'm not sure there's a ton of data that really shows this yet, but on the other side of bye weeks, teams can kind of struggle, could be a little, you know, a little lackadaisical, a little, you know, tough to get kind of back in the swing of things. And we're talking about the Capitals, I think, getting upwards of a week and a half off when you combine the all-star break with the, uh, I could be wrong about that, but I think I'm right. Um, with the, with the uh, All-Star weekend. And it's something that, yeah, you want to see the Capitals play better because, you know, if you assume there's going to be some struggle on the other side, we really, it's important to kind of bank these points now. Yeah, definitely agreed. I think it's, uh, you know, they have to get, uh, I mean, they don't have to like blow anybody out or anything, but really just get some performances where they're clearly the better team, almost yeah. regardless of the outcome. Uh, just yeah, don't want to see them beat Trotz again, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, in, uh, nice. in DC, you know, I, I mean, I, I love the man. He's great. But, you know, I, I'm sure they, at least I would hope they have something extra saved up for that game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll be kind of lulled to sleep by whatever pregame video they show uh, to, <laughs> to, yeah. to boost trots up. So I think it yeah. should be, I mean, it, it will be cool. Um, it's also important to note that the Capitals will be uh, honoring Brooks Orpik's thousandth game um, bef- prior to the puck drop on Friday. So. Yeah. So it was the plan that they're going to uh, put Trotz's video like sometime in intermission, or are they going to do both Orpic and Trotz? Uh, I don't know. I, I, okay. They might just do it like during a TV timeout, which would be kind of lame. But that, yeah, that, that, that's probably what they'll do. Yeah, it would seem it would seem fitting. Although it did seem like things have thought, at least kind of from informally what I've been hearing a little bit between Trotz and the Caps. You know, from infamously them not having a you know, featuring him in the, you know, intro video for the year, which I think was kind of a silly controversy, but, you know, it, it was something that I, I'm sure that, you know, Trotz took notice of at least a little bit, but it, it does seem things have thawed down. So I, I do, you know, as much as at times I had issues with Trotz's deployments, you know, and things like that. I mean, the guy won the Capitals of freaking Stanley Cup, right? So, and he was a, by all accounts, a great person in the community. And so I really do hope that they take a time to kind of honor the person and coach that he was. Yeah, yeah, I think it will definitely be. Um, it's good to see. Uh, I, I will be in attendance tomorrow, so I'll uh, 
I'm, right. I'm hoping it will be pretty cool. So, um, I don't really have a lot else to, to add here, Greg. I think we, we kind of hit all the bases. So, uh, yeah. you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I mean, I like I said, I hope the Capitals start playing a little better. Just just from a sure watchability standpoint, yep. you know, I I it, lately it's felt like a chore. And <laughs> I mean, hockey is great, and the Capitals when they're playing well are one of the most fun teams in the league to watch. So I prefer them turn into the Capitals of old that we really enjoyed and less of a kind of, I don't know, like a kind of slow, mucky team that just gives up a ton of chances right around the net. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just want to see them skate better and play better just from a, from a dumb fan perspective as much as anything. Well, I, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Yeah. Uh, so, so Greg, where can all of our listeners find you on Twitter? So uh, I am at Greg Young three on Twitter. Uh, I don't know why I went with Greg Young three. It happened when I was in a a youthful undergrad. Um, I think it might have been because Greg Young one and two were taken. So uh, three is where it was. Um, you can find me there, and uh, you can find my writing uh, on the site. All right, awesome. Well, thank you for joining me for your first episode of Jabers Inc. Radio, and I look forward to having you on again. Um, and I hope that all of our listeners will continue to support the podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and always feel free to reach out to both me and now Greg as well. Uh, you know, we always love interacting with our fans, or yeah. the oh, show's yeah. fans, it's rather. Fun. Capitals fans. <laughs> don't have to be our fans, just... Just yeah, saying. although if you're if you're a uh, I don't know uh, trying to think of a neutral team, if you're a uh, I don't know a Buffalo Sabers fan, feel free to talk. You know, I'm happy to talk to you too. Uh, just uh, you know, if you're a Penguins fan, then may want to steer away. <laughs> I mean, they're always welcome to. That. We'll take anybody. All right. <laughs> thank, thank you for listening to this episode of Japers Rink Radio.